and welcome to the life of the insurance lady. I am Tamika Kimbrough Hilson, and I am the innovator, the creator, and the denominator of the insurance game when it comes to women and insurance, especially the presence of black people. And so I do this podcast to talk about my life as well as other women and insurance life comes on. And we kind of discuss what this looks like because you'd be amazed how many of us is going through the same things regardless of our status just because of what it is and what it ain't. You know, it's what it is. You know, it's nothing we can do. So I've been doing podcasts for the Life of the Insurance Lady since August of 2019. Um... I can say I don't have a big following um, because that's not my objective. My objective is to engage. And in this space that I found, my objective is to share. And so I'm going to start with telling my story. And as a black woman in a predominantly white male industry, it has been a journey. And as a black woman in a black family, as the oldest, it has been challenging. So a lot of people will be able to relate to, you know, what this really means and what the essence of being a human is, first and foremost, and then the essence of being a black person experiencing America. So let's start with the beginning. So I was born on my grandfather's birthday. And so, my grandfather was from Greene County, Georgia. He was born in the 20s. I also knew my great-grandfather, who was born in the 1800s. So, I had the pleasure of being raised around my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother. And my great-great-great-great-great-grandmother on my grandmother's side like I mean I got the pleasure to know the elders and I got the pleasure being the oldest to engage in seeing the life and the death of people and knowing those people like really knowing their faces knowing their smell knowing how they spoke how they act what they wore what was their thing um, I spent a lot of time with my family I grew up with a big family um, my maiden name is K-I-M-B-R-O-U-G-H, and if you look that up, we have a crest, we're in, we're in um, museums, we have streets named after us, a lot of us with a business, and I guarantee you, we take a blood test, we're all related, because I was raised with the understanding that it was things I couldn't do because of who I was in my DNA, so I got that part. And so I was raised in Youngstown, Ohio, which was and still is considered what is considered, if you know, um, in a small town, but a big town, small, big town. I don't know how to explain it. And so I'm the oldest of six kids on my mom, the oldest of three kids of my dad. Uh, my mom and dad had me young, so they were young parents. But I grew up with so many morals and principles and values and understanding of God, not religion. Um, I went to every kind of church growing up. My mother would just uh, send us to different churches through the yellow book because she had six of us and she adopted like three or four more of my cousins. So it was like a lot of us in the house. 
So church was fun. Church was always a good place to send kids because we can learn a lot from church. And the people in church don't play. And you're going to participate. And you're going to learn how to do this. You're going to learn how to do that. And you're going to find things that's interesting for you in the church. Because you could be the usher. You could do the water. You could teach the children. You could do the child care. You could help in the kitchen. You could do janitorial services. I mean, you could do a lot in the church. Like... You could be there before church start and do stuff. You could be there while church is in session and do stuff. Or you could be after church is over do stuff. And what I loved in Baptist church more than anything was the fellowship of food at the end on the first Sunday. Um, we always ate so well. It was always so good. I don't know. It was like God was in the food. And I think it was because of the people. They were so nice. I mean, I went to Methodist church, Presbyterian, Pentecostal. Um... Seven Day Vintage. I went to um, Catholic Church. I mean, every church, non-domination. Like I went to all of them. But the Baptist churches was way more spiritually sound for me. Um, I felt the music was on point. They do a lot of fellowship, a lot of connecting the spirits, you know. You get up and shake your neighbor, you look at your neighbor, you tell your neighbor this, you know. Uh, you know, getting over your fear of engaging. Um, you hugging each other, the music is going non-stop, uh, it's shooking and jiving, you know, people feeling good in the spirit, and um, they baptize them. You know, I've been baptized, methodized, I've been all of that, I, I've done it all, because I, my mom taught me that, you gotta find it yourself. She couldn't tell us how to find it, we have to find it ourselves. And so, with me, I just decided that I was gonna leave my environment to find it. So let's fast forward. Okay, I'm 18. I go to move to Virginia. I have a daughter already. But we'll talk about that later. I already have a three-year-old child at that time. So we'll talk about that at another session. So I'm in Virginia. I'm, I'm, I'm working. I realized that through my cousin, actually my cousin taught me the value of roommates because when I was 17 she was like I'd already had a baby at 16 so she was like Mika why don't you why don't we stay together and we pay 150 a piece everything is included now remind me you this is 1996 97 no this is 1993 92 92 93 okay my daughter's born in 91 so you know things are kind of still good and my best friend she had a car so I had transportation and I had a place to stay even though I could have stayed with my mom it was just too many people and I felt like I was adding so much more because I had a baby and it was crying and waking people up and you know la 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 so I went on my own my mom helped me too she, helped, she wasn't mad it was my cousin my cousin was in college she was already a nurse she was in the military you know she was a real adult so my mom felt good about me going around her and living with her so we were roommates and I was like the only person in my age group that had like a real apartment that I paid for. I worked for Planned Parenthood as a spokesperson. So I used to go to schools and tell people just, just don't have sex because you're going to get pregnant or you're going to get a disease. And that's just the reality of sex, you know. And I was very clear about that as a young person because I had sex and I got pregnant. So people couldn't tell me like, you know, that don't happen. Even if it didn't happen to them, it happened to me. So it was real. It was devastating because I just wasn't into boys on that level. And I didn't even want to engage, but it was the pressure of my peers. It was the pressure of society, of our environment, 
but I was non into that engagement just because I was young. I don't know. I just was like, I, you know, I'd rather smoke some weed and have some drinks and have sex when I was a teenager. You know, like I was like, I don't want to really do that. It wasn't nothing. I don't know. My mind was not curious enough for that. And when I smoked the herb, it was to take me away from the violence that was happening in my community. And when I had the drink, it was really to put me to sleep so I could rest well. Because a lot of my friends got killed. I watched a lot of people die. I watched people I love die from, from, gut, from shootings, from selling drugs, go to jail. People I care about so much go to jail. I just watched a lot. So I was like, when I got grown, that wasn't what I was going to do. And so I decided to move away. So I moved to Virginia. And I just told you guys the stuff about a little bit, though. I'll go back and forth because storytelling is going down the path and then coming back to a point in time that reminds you of the path you're taking on the conversation. So here's just a little storytelling. And so I'm telling my story from my words to your ears so you can hear it. So then I moved to Virginia. I was like 18 years old. Stayed with my cousin. Found a roommate. I knew the value of a roommate. So I was not afraid to share a space with someone else. So I had a roommate. Did my thing there. Moved to Alabama. And I'm just going to run through it quick. Because I don't want to take up a lot of time. We're already at like 10 minutes. And I like my storytelling to be over like 15. Because I want to keep listening to somebody talk. So I'll follow up. But basically it's just the, this is the path. To get to the quickest point of who I am today. Went to Alabama with my roommate for a family reunion, met her cousin, married him in six months. I'm 19 at that point with one child. Moved to Alabama with my daughter, stayed there, moved back to Ohio where I'm from with my husband, got pregnant, had a baby, bought a house. <laughs> I'm 23 at that point. Then go, we moved back to, we moved to Virginia, get a divorce, start working in insurance, 1996. From that, I realized that I had hit a gold mine because the first job I got wasn't no black people there, first of all. It was because of affirmative action, second of all, and I knew my stuff. Everything that I had endured, every, every experience I had had by the time I hit 23, 24, I don't even know how old I was. By the time I hit that age in 96, prepared me for the next chapter of my life. Which you have to be very mature, you have to be very responsible, you have to be very disciplined, and you have to be very, very connected with your faith. Because you're going to be challenged. Um, so I went to Virginia, worked, you know, Geico, worked for Mr. Warren Buffett. Worked for Mr. Humphreys. They actually talked to me, mentored me. Uh, Mr. Humphreys actually, Mr. Hubert Humphreys, actually gave me his book called The 17 Principles of Success. And by the end, I knew about the barcode in the back of the book, and it didn't have one. So I knew it was a very powerful book. And he was telling me about, they were both telling me about the future and how I'm a part of that future and how I got to be different with my culture as I go into the future. So I was real fortunate to um, know them. And Mr. Buff is awesome. I mean, I worked for Geico, and when I had a problem with racism, I wrote him a letter and faxed it to him, and he solved it. 
Um, and it was dealing with just not racism against me being black. It was racism against everybody. It was so much hatred. It was so much practices that were illegal that these people were doing to other people. I mean, imagine being in a break room and someone sexually assaults another coworker and no one says anything. Me, I can't. I can't. I'm telling on you. And I'm going to tell. And you know, the hardest part of helping others is they have to speak for themselves. So if they don't tell the person that that happened to them and how they feel, it's like you're just fighting for nothing. But I didn't care. I didn't care if I got fired. I didn't care. But it was a great experience. And it taught me that people do care. Rich white people do care. They're not all the same. They actually do care about the business they create and how it affects people. Um, they may not care about your situation just because it's your life. But they do care about how their stuff affects you as a person. So don't get that twisted, you guys. I had a great experience with rich white men. And it wasn't no experience of bad. It was experience of they showing me like the other side of rich white men. Because I always saw the one side. The mean, callous, ignorant, racist, greedy part. But I never saw the human, the non-biased, the, the, the bigger outcome rich white people white men, put it like that, because I knew some really rich white women, and they were awesome. Women are just, I don't know, I don't want to sound biased or sexist, but women are awesome, because my experience with women have been, I'm going to show you something, young lady, I'm going to help you, because you're a mother like me. We had that in common, regardless of our race, or any, or our preference, or where we live, our education, our common, common denominator was children. And love of God through those children so it's always a great experience but let me get on to this so then I got married moved to Virginia um, while Virginia met a cool girl um, we end up moving to Atlanta as roommates um, and then I end up meeting my second husband and getting married at 26 okay and having a son for him um, he was from another country so the cultural differences were overwhelming so we get divorced and then I'm just doing business. I left corporate America in 2006, 2007, started my own thing. Met my third husband at that time. We were doing business together. We got married. We had twins. We got married again. We got a divorce. Then we got married again. Didn't work out because we were really trying. He had been married before I had been married two times before. So we were really like trying to make it work for the kids. Didn't work. So we, you know separated got a divorce all that good stuff and then I um, was living in Atlanta all that time from uh, 2000 till 2017 I ran for insurance commissioner you'll find that out in my you find out who I am um, in the state of Georgia but my mom was sick and so one thing I learned from very rich people was like there will come a time where it will be real stuff and not real stuff and what I mean by that would be your family and humans or the accolades and money the stage of honor or the stage of turmoil so when I saw my mom so sick right I saw her like why she look like she old why she take all them pills? I saw them damn pills. I was like, wait a minute, what the hell? You're dying, Ma? She's like, no. I'm like, so why are these people giving me all these pills? She couldn't fight the system. 2017, the system hurts black people. I don't care what system it is. It hurts us. 
No one listens to us. People don't respect us. People are taught to do that. People are taught not to do, people are taught to treat us different. It's taught. People don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm just gonna mistreat black people. No, they're taught these lies. And the people that's telling them it ain't even black. And if they're black, they don't even live with black people. You see what I'm saying? Like they're not even really engaged in what it means to say I'm a black woman in America. And so I moved back to Ohio, I helped my mom, I fought, wrote, I mean fought, I'm talking about fought systems, fought government, fought private, fought everybody with the pen and the paper and the voice of my words on that. And I'm very good at that, I'm very eloquent in my delivery of I'm going to sue you because money matters. So you can't go off everything like I'm going to beat you up. I mean, bro, that's jail time. I'm going to sue you and I'm going to use the law to do it. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to understand it and I'm going to win. And if more people thought like that and dealt with people on the legal way of writing things out, you go to a hospital, they treat you wrong. I'm going to file a grievance. You put it in writing, you file it, and then you call a lawyer. You say, hey, this is what these people did. And I wrote my grievance. I'm going to send that to you. Because the lawyer need your statement of claim. That's what a grievance is. Date, time, and place. How you felt. What should have happened. What could have happened. And then you have to find the law that they broke. Some states have moral turpitude laws. So... You'd be amazed how many people could really be in trouble with lawsuits and civil litigations. And, and, and suing people is the oldest process out there. Uh, criminal stuff just came up not too long ago, but civil stuff been out there. So there's more civil laws to protect you. It's more civil laws that ain't built off of racism. It's more civil laws that's designed to justify your claim of being mistreated, your civil rights being violated, your constitutional rights being violated, you as a human being dehumanized. Um, you have a right. So let's go to my mom. So I stayed up there, helped my mom, and then in 2020, 2019, I met my husband. Now, I had this thing in my head, I would never be with someone been in jail, and I didn't. My first husband was a military retiree, was in the military, worked excellent company, made excellent money, never been to jail, never been in trouble. My second husband was an Olympic track star for his country, traveled the world, never been in trouble. My third husband, he might have had something happen when he was younger, but he owned the business, he ran his thing, he did his thing. My fourth husband, we grew up together. So I knew the caliber of person he was. My whole family knew him, which was refreshing because they had respect for him. And my family's tough, so if they respect you, they know you, brother. For real, they know stuff because they kind of, you know, tough themselves. So we met in a reentry program. How about that? My first one that I set up because I was teaching Section 19. Um, um, surety bonds that um, felons and ex-offenders come out with. Did you know, in case you don't know, is that when you go to prison or jail 
and you get a record, when you get out, you get a $5,000 bond on you in the event that you do something civil or liable or negligent against a person or a business. It's called Section 19. It's with the FDIC. So look that up, you guys. That's a, that's a nugget. Um, and so met him. And we, we, we spiritually connected, and it was, and it's an understanding. Um, I'm gonna have to stop here, you guys.